so many foreign students to compete with. There's, um, it's just been kind of a gradual raising of the bar. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, a few schools in the United States that everybody wants to go to. Right. So you asked me that. Yes, there are all for different, you know, programs. Mm -hmm. But for USC, yeah, they're definitely, that's on the top five, depending on what you want to study. Mm. And a lot of these schools, they will only take, you know, sometimes four freshmen. Mm. Wow. So I think last year, the vocal jazz department took four freshmen. That's what I heard. Mm. Was it last year or the year before? And it might have been this year. I didn't ask this year. But, mm. you know, fortunately, I've been super successful at getting students in there. Like, yeah. I've had, you know which is great, mm. but I don't know if I would have been one of them, <laughs> seriously. Wow, yeah, yeah, it's amazing how these things change, you know, I mean, just with like getting a kid into preschool, you know, and people are like, if they're just thinking about having a child, they're, you know, applying to preschools and, and they have maybe, I don't know if anybody's going that far, but you know, it's just like, you're on a waiting list. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty nutty. It's pretty like, yeah. you know, but I think it's good to um, also, well, maybe not with preschool, but um, well, do you think it's like good uh, quality control as far as, you know, making it, uh, raising those standards and all of that? Yeah, I mean, it can be for sure. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they'll let some real talent go, mm. I think. Yeah. You know, because that real talented kid does not have the grades. Mm. And, you know, if they're not passionate about academics, but they are about music, they could be one hell of an amazing musician mm -hmm. and let that person go. Like, I've heard on a panel of different college instructors, the USC instructor said, it broke their heart that they had to let, there was a classical oboist auditioning. They got her pre-screen audition and she was like going to be like first chair, like in any orchestra, they'd be fighting. They could just tell she had the incredible talent mm. and they wouldn't take her because of her grades. Mm. And they wanted to teach her, but they just had that very stringent yeah. GPA. I yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I mean, not to discount, I think that education is so important and it certainly is important to go to school and, and broaden your horizons, but it's just like, how long have we been out of school and like, what does it really matter? You know, <laughs> the stuff that, yeah. you know, the music education is what counts. That's what our career is. We already know what it's our track the numbers, is. It's a numbers and statistics game. Yeah. So they want to be able to say that. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And then right i mean yeah I, I get i certainly get that but well, we've been we've been so they have another thing called the trojan transfer right they can say we want you at usc but you can come next year <laughs> but you have to transfer in you can take from our sister school in london you can or go to another school and then please apply again mm. so as far as handling handling your general ed you mean ha yes. do it somewhere else and yeah yeah so in fact our son got a letter from USC it was the only school he didn't get into mm. so he got into all the top schools for jazz bass playing mm -hmm. and um USC sent them 
yeah, we, we really, you know, he got through the pre-screen, he auditioned live and they said, you know, your GPA is far below what our normal GPA is. They went yeah. 3.8 higher and he was at a 3.2. This mm. please consider transferring next year. But he ended up somewhere else and had, you know, almost a full ride at this other place. So he, he's at UNT, which is a great program. What is that? UNT, University of North Texas Jazz Studies Program. Oh, I've, yeah, I've heard of that. I mean, there's so many great programs. Yeah. Now, so he's very, very happy there. How thrown could a student get? I mean, let's say maybe you are really on that track, like that oboist, if she had decided, and maybe she wouldn't make this decision, but decided to do community college or something for the, the general ed just to keep it inexpensive. Like how thrown off could you get doing something like that? Are there good community colleges for music? Well, I, I don't know where else she applied to. This yeah. is just someone talking about her on a panel. Right. But I imagine she would apply to some other schools. Of course. Probably Oberlin or other schools where she would be connected to the industry. So she could be, right. you know, auditioning when auditions came up for, you know, professional orchestras. Mm -hmm. So that's what you would so, do. You wouldn't like, obviously. Yeah, probably. I mean, if she went to community college, she'd probably do it short term to try to you know, get some general ed education grades under her belt and then reapply. Mm -hmm. But I've heard stories of, you know, students who have applied only for two schools and then they're sure they're going to get into both schools and then they don't get into, they'll only maybe get into one school with no scholarship, but they're sure they're gonna get into both schools because they've won like all these competitions mm. and they're sure, you know, mm -hmm. they've won everything and they think, right, you know, they, there's no risk. So we always tell our Cala clients, you know, you've got to apply for it, even if you're super talented, you got to apply for at least six to eight programs. I mean, it just kind of depends on what they're applying for. Mm. And you've got to be open-minded about, you know, there are so many great programs out there in the United States that people don't even know about with new directors and energetic programs. And sometimes the um, programs that people know about, you know, the whoever's in there has been there a very long time and they're burnt out and it might not be the best fit, mm. but they want, you know, sometimes parents want their kids in a named program and they're just, stuck on that instead of what's actually going to help the student grow and be a, mm. a hireable musician and good person overall. Mm. Let me ask you this about, you know, um, adults who want to, um, I'll get specific and say maybe an adult and I'm not talking about myself, <laughs> I am thinking about somebody in particular, but an adult who wants to get into teaching um, and feels that maybe they need to apply to a university. Um, I don't know, what, what's a good teacher track, I suppose, for somebody who's kind of you know, up there in years, in their 40s, in their 50s, and decided that they, mm -hmm. that they want to teach but want to get some good education under their belt? Um, what would you suggest? Well, someone who's in California, they're the UC schools, there's a huge in-state discount. Oh. And there's some really great UC programs. 
Um, a lot of the schools are commuter, commuter schools. Mm -hmm. um, and you can end up getting, you know, the tools you need to teach there, mm. more instruction for yourself. Mm. Um, could even apply to music education programs. But when you look at the tuition for those programs, yeah. it's a fraction of what a private school can cost. Mm. Actually have some numbers here. Hold on. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I think I do. Let me give you an example. Oh, okay. Well, I just have ranges of prices. Oh, that's great. That's cool. So you see schools? Mm -hmm. uh, let me see. Oh, wow. Anywhere between 10,000 to 30,000 versus a private school per year mm -hmm. versus a private school that could be many of them are 50,000 and more. Wow. Yes. Per year, per year. My God. That's, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm on my beginner teacher journey and that's why <laughs> I wasn't even considering, you know, I'm just looking at uh, smaller programs and kind of one-on-one -on -one stuff and workshops and, you know, kind of my own experience and everything that I can pick up from teachers I know and all of that, because it's just like, mm -hmm. you know, to be an adult and to already have, you know, like my adult debt and then to think about like, you know, a private, I'm just, I'm not even thinking about that because I'm just like, I can't even do that to myself right now. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like, uh, so to hear that, the, you know, some, there's some in-state discount, that might be something to think yeah. about. Yeah, absolutely. You know. And most states have that. So our son's at University of North Texas, and he's, he got the in-state, part of his scholarship to get the in-state price, which is a fraction. Mm. And then he got, you know, music scholarship, and then he got an education, educational excellence scholarship, which is, he wasn't educationally excellent, but I think they just wanted him there. So they gave him this extra scholarship, <laughs> which was hey, nice. Works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a lot of programs will do that if they really like the student and they think they're talented, they'll mm. give them the in-state tuition. Mm. Yeah. So what do you generally see? I mean, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in that position where I'm, you know, I'm, kind, I'm, a, I'm a new teacher what do you think is necessary um what do you think is valuable yeah so for me number one is voice technique mm -hmm. above anything um because i feel like if you don't have a solid foundation on technique you're going to be stuck right and you know we have so many students that come in and they want to sing whatever uh mariah carey and just like crazy stuff that they're just not really ready to sing mm -hmm. Um, so you've like with any discipline, I don't care if it's karate or ballet or whatever it is, you always have to master the basic things. Right. So that means breathing, phonating, turning every bit of breath into resonance, just getting your voice just healthy with great habits. Mm. Um, so I know a lot of voice teachers that don't understand technique so well, mm. Um, and then it's really difficult. You definitely don't want to, um, teach a child, especially someone developing mm -hmm. and not insist on good technique. Mm. 
I've had I've had students of mine say, um, "You've you stop me all the time in my lessons," <laughs> mm. and they end up really liking it mm. because they realize that I won't let them get away with a bad habit. Yeah, you know, it's just. And today I, I taught a student, and I could tell she just wasn't practicing right. Mm. And she was, because she'd come back and she, by the end of the lesson, she was getting the technique. Mm -hmm. She came in today and she was getting back to her old habits. Mm. She had learned on her own. And I said, okay, today I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to watch you practice. And she said, well, usually I start like this. I'm listening to our recordings Mm. and I'm singing while I'm doing my homework. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not there yet where it's just like you don't have to think about it because if you do that you're going to gravitate to your old habits mm. and you have those habits like ingrained in your body because you've sung this other way for years. Mm-hmm. And she tries to make a big sound by just pushing from her throat and I'm like you've got to trust me that we're going to just dial this back. We're going to build your voice in a healthy way and the power will come, but you have to do it this way. Right. So, you know, I think she really got that when you do warm ups, it's not just to warm up your voice, you're actually practicing technique while you warm up. Mm-hmm. And you really have to pay attention on doing those warm ups in the right way, or you're practicing your old habits, not the new ones. Mm. It's getting in that muscle memory. I mean, you know. Yeah. And then, of, of course, just really getting into um, lyric is so important. Mm-hmm. Just musicianship in general. I, I make all my students sight read. That's mm. part of every lesson is ear training and sight reading. Ooh. How much time do you spend with that? And I, yeah, how much time do you spend with that in a lesson? And it, it depends on the student. Mm. Some students, five minutes. This particular student, because she's my newest student and she's um, the least advanced, we spend, we spend about 30 minutes just on technique, which means exercises. And I have a technique song that I'm working with her on. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's a short song, it's, but it's, you got to sing it with good technique. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to keep working over it until, you know, you really habitually go to the right place when you sing it. So... And then with her, I'll spend another 10 to 15 minutes in sight reading. Mm. And then we'll work on a song um, that involves usually ear training and tech, putting the technique together. Mm. It's usually something she is interested in singing. Mm. Very cool. And for the sight reading, do you have a particular um, uh, book series that you're using? Or? I have so many things. So I have um, like PDFs of different exercises at different levels. Mm. I have sight singing books. Um, sometimes I use a Melodia book. Do you know what that is? I have heard of that. Yeah. Gerald's, uh, uh, Gerald's class. Gerald's, oh, right. Gerald's. Gerald White. Yeah. I, we Gerald used White. That. Yeah, I took that class. Right. I had that. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes bring that one out. It just depends mm. on the level of the student and their understanding of music theory, if they can read key signatures, mm. if they're only reading in a narrow range. I mean, I literally start with do, re, mi, re, mi, re, do. Like those are the exercises, right? Mm. 
with, you know, and then add, adding half notes. And then we, the next exercise goes to fa. And then the next set goes to sol. Mm. And then you add skips. So it's like a lot of repetition. And then changing keys and then adding minor in there. Um, mm -hmm. So it's... Oh, yeah. It kind of depends on where they're at and how quickly they learn. This is great. This is good, like, meat for a career, you know, which could ensure you actually having one because there's so much studio work available for people who can sightseeing. You know? Yeah. And just the ability to learn music on your own. So many hands who sheet music. Yeah. You can not have to hire someone to play it for you. <laughs> right. In this particular student, my newest, my most beginning student, again, that I taught today, um, she was really having a hard time singing this melody. And I was like, wait, you're in the key of F and now you're going from me to Ray. And I made her like sing the solfege and then she would get it right. It was me, me, Ray. Mm -hmm. So once she like, knew that it was going down like that, she got it. Mm. She needed, to, and then just for students to always know what pitch level they're beginning the song on. Mm. So they have framework and that really helped. So, and then advanced students, it's a totally different routine. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll come warmed up. Sometimes we'll do like five minutes just to get them off to the races. Mm -hmm. And then from there we're doing a little sight reading. We're doing various scales and we're working in repertoire for, it could be for college auditions. It could be for competitions. I usually like all my students to um, have at least one classical piece or a technique piece. Mm. And then I like them to be doing something that requires them to use their ear. And then, you know, it just depends on what they're working on, but you know, mm. they're, I always get them working on a number of different projects. Mm. So, in fact, one of my students, he's a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. He applied for um, spotlight auditions in only one category. He skipped classical this year just because he didn't have enough time. And then he applied for young arts and singer-songwriter, pop voice, jazz voice, and then all state he's submitting for. Mm. So he's always like preparing for these competitions. Mm. And, you know, he's been doing this and each year he does it, he gets better because he gets more skills through the process of preparing for these things. Yeah. And, you know, he, he got a win in young arts this year. I don't know if he'll get spotlight. He got into all state last year. I had every one of my students this year who applied for young arts won, mm -hmm. which is amazing because it's a national competition mm. had that happen one other year so but if they do it year after year and they're always preparing and working on it mm. they just get a different skill set mm. and they're just you know constantly working on that project or getting ready for a recital or getting ready for a musical theater production mm -hmm. or a gig whatever it can be mm -hmm. so putting that theory into practice constantly and uh, really learning what it is to practice. You know, I don't know if everybody knows how to practice or the fact that, you know, a, a really great singer, musician does not just uh, wake up knowing how to perform and do their thing well. It's, it takes a lot right. of work. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm the same way. I won't, I'm very, I'm a very lazy practicer. 
but if I have something I have to get ready for, I'll do it. Yeah. So, you know, I like a bunch of gigs, I'll just book. And then I'm like, well, I got to sing all this crazy stuff. So I'm going to get ready. I'm going to practice now because I have to. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy practicing once I get into it, but mm -hmm. we all have such busy lives. That yeah. Oh, I'll practice later. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It really forces you into it. Yeah. And I think we just kind of like, you know, certainly just being adults, we just kind of deal with what we've got to deal with at the moment. And if practicing doesn't, <laughs> there's nothing in particular to practice for, then we're going to like put time into the business or, you know, deal with the kids or, you know, so yeah, that makes sense. Well, this has been really great. It's been like, you know, so fantastic getting to know about you and, and your work and and what you do. Um, oh, you know, I did have a question about, I remember a, the, a couple of weeks ago, I overheard you talking to another teacher who has a music school and you just kind of talked about, uh, <laughs> I know who that you is. know, <laughs> yeah. um, you talked about, uh, to her about, uh, one thing which I thought was interesting, which was having your teachers at the school, um, kind of rent their space from you. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact that she was kind of doing a 50-50 thing with the teachers um, as probably not the most feasible business move. And um, can you talk a little bit about that? Just kind of like what kind of things make sense? Uh, there, so there are kind of three ways people do music school, music school business. And I'm not talking about on a college. Mm -hmm. Well, Actually, I know colleges do it a variety of different ways too, but just if you're going to have like a local music school, mm -hmm. there are three ways people pay instructors. One is, you know, as employees. Mm -hmm. So, and I have someone locally here who I'm friends with who actually he was paying contractors, but now he's switching to employees because of the new contractor law. Oh. Um, most, the majority pay is contractors, like this other teacher we know in common. I don't know if we should mention her name or not, <laughs> but yeah. she's, she's awesome. Yeah. But um, yeah, she's running into issues because it's, especially now that the law is changing, mm -hmm. um, there are strict rules, contractor laws, and at, you know a lot of people are fighting it from musicians because there's a lot of... Um, Hiring musicians as a contractor is such commonplace mm -hmm. for everything, for gigs. Like, you know, I, I know people that routinely hire musicians just to play in gigs. And I do somewhat, but only like, if, I don't know, once a month, not very frequently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and like, we're getting paid for a gig tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Will that person have to pay us as an employee? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's the same thing as the Uber drivers and the Lyft drivers. Right. So one of the criteria is that if you're hiring someone as a contractor today and they're doing the same service, the, the main service your business provides. So mm -hmm. if, you're if you're, you're a music school and you're hiring a music teacher to teach music, mm -hmm. that's the same business. But if you're a restaurant and you're serving food and you're selling food, but you hire a musician, then they're providing another service, then you might still be able to pay that musician as a contractor. Oh, okay. So like if I was going to hire a plumber to fix the sinks at the music school, I can hire them as a contractor still. Okay. But 
Well, so I think that's, and of course, when you have a contractor, you're just asking them to do the job. You can't give them, you can't tell them how to teach. You can't, there's real um, strict guidelines mm -hmm. on what you can and can't tell your contractors to do. When you have employees, you can, you know, have an employee manual, you can mm. have really uh, strict rules and schedules and, you know, payroll, all that stuff that goes along with being an employee. Okay. So then the other way is to do it is the way we do it. Um, all of our teachers work for themselves. Mm -hmm. They um, collect the tuition. They're not paid by us. In fact, our teachers are our customers. They're not, you know, I, I've walked in the room like so many times and people are like, there's my boss. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not your boss at all. Mm. I'm like, seriously, there are customers. Mm. So how that works is that um, we provide a place for them to teach. So it's similar to the hair salon model. Okay. We provide a facility for them and we provide referrals for them. Okay. So we answer the phone. Now, how we protect our business um, in that environment is that we have to be really careful of who we allow this arrangement to, you know, we participate in this arrangement with people who we believe are exceptional and trusted. Mm -hmm. So we have just such a thorough screening process mm -hmm. just to ensure that everybody has like an amazing reputation. Right. Um, you know, we have a small South Bay community and if, you know, someone's not doing a bang up job, I think people will talk. Yeah. And, you know, so far the talk has been great and we want to keep that going. Right. <laughs> so, and then, you know, our teachers pay us rent based on um, when they teach, you know, we have like prime time. Everybody wants those lessons after school, after work, Monday through Thursday. So and then we have off hours rent and you know, they pay us just for the facilities and then we have full-time office, um, our office manager who is there to assist teachers. It's great. She, you know, helps everybody's customers in the, in the lobby. She, people will send music to the printer, you know, they'll order on music notes or whatever website. Mm -hmm. She'll send the music to the printer. She'll run it to people's room. She'll, you know, help people locate sheet music and mm. yeah. And then she helps keep the place tidy and stocked and answers the phone. And then my sister, my older sister is the general manager and she does most of the uh, uh, sales. People will call in looking for teachers and mm. she will help place a new student with a teacher that works for them, you know, based on what they're looking for in a teacher mm. and their skill set, and of course their schedule and budget. Mm. So how do you turn a profit? Um, well, you have to have, so we are in an <laughs> incredibly expensive place to right. have a business. Yeah. Like our overhead is unbelievably high. So, I mean, the good part of that is that, you know, people want to have lessons in their area, mm -hmm. right? So um, we, most of our teachers come in and they'll only work one or two days a week. Mm -hmm. You know, they know, I, you know, our teachers. So if we have a working singer on our, in our studio, we have, you know, one particular teacher who he's doing sessions like during the week, he can only teach on the weekends. Mm. So, but it's worth it to him to come down because we will, you know, fill, 
refer enough students. So right. he's got a healthy schedule. Right. So we've just got to make sure um, we have the right balance. Well, right now we're pretty full, which is great. Yeah. We really couldn't operate our business if we didn't have um, teachers teaching in those rooms all the time and, yeah. and paying rent, you know, mm -hmm. we depend on that. So, you know, we're able to have a profit definitely now at this point, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, 2019 it'll be 22 20 next year so mm -hmm. yeah that's wow 18 years is that possible no no our sons can be 17 that'll be 16 years right yeah you said 04 yeah 16 years. yeah so by this time we have a profit but the bigger your business gets the more labor it takes it's a customer service intensive business mm -hmm. so i mean i have contact with every one of our teachers. I know most of our students, I'll go to the recitals and I get to know them that way. Mm -hmm. I'll see them in the lobby. Mm -hmm. But I used to know every one of our students so well. And I'm really not at that point because our school's a little too big for me to know everybody so well, I would have to live there. Mm. Um, but um, between me and our manager and my sister Angie, we know, we know them all well. Mm. We have a successful band program there where they get a chance to perform with the band. Oh, nice. Great. It's like, you know, that's the same thing. It's like providing opportunities for singers and recitals or musical theater. Right. If you're playing, can you imagine if you're playing drums and you're taking a weekly drum lesson and then what, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like the worst practice in the world, just playing drums by yourself. I mean, you can play with, you know, your favorite drummer, but to get to be a playing like by yourself drums with a band that's yeah. awesome yeah same thing bass players guitarists really great to play with a band you know yeah. singers it's a great way to develop confidence yeah and then they learn how to work together it's yeah the new team sport yeah and certainly i think you should be in a position where things can go wrong you know where maybe you need to learn how to deal with a sound person you need to learn how to communicate with like you're saying with oh, your other position oh. your other musicians and oh at it. their age it's funny because they just have to learn from experience we tell them okay don't point that mic into the speaker oh god <laughs> yeah. two seconds later whoop, you know mm -hmm. and then we'll do a live performance and they, we've got our speakers up so it's really hard for them to do it in our band room they're like mounted to the ceiling but when they go to live venue, we'll say there's a monitor there. So when you're done singing, don't just drop your mic and point it in the monitor, but they will do it. Mm -hmm. Or they'll have a cordless mic and then they'll walk right in front of a main speaker, but they have to learn. Yeah. This, you know, you can tell them. And they also, you know, learning about volume control, mm -hmm. and listening. Yes. It's an experience yeah. they need to have. Yeah. Same thing in a choral environment. I love teaching harmony and vocal groups. I've had a number of, you know, small vocal groups I've put together and I mm -hmm. try to get everybody alone on a part and for them to listen and, you know, have that ability to blend mm. to type of thing. Also singing on a sound system. That's a different animal. Yes. Yes. Very different from singing in your room, singing in the car, right. singing in the shower, you know, you got to deal with the sound system. 
Right, for sure. So one one thing I kind of want to talk about in your podcast, and I don't know, yeah. you're going to edit this, I hope, right? Because mm-hmm. I am, <laughs> I'm an endless rambler. Oh no, I, this is this is why we are here. Stuff just has to get oh, talked so about. <laughs> one thing I want to mention is, you know, you asked how my voice has changed over yeah. the years, and well, I had. I had maybe a worse incident than the whole gunshot incident. I had a vocal hemorrhage that set me back badly for 10 years. (gasps) Oh my God. Yeah. And it's something that I think your, um, your audience needs to hear. So, um, I was at a restaurant with my family Mm -hmm. drinking water and drinking water and I didn't swallow correctly because I was laughing and I choked on the water. Um, and I went from having like crystal clear speaking voice to zero. Like I was like, what ha- What happened? Kind of my voice was just gone in an instant from choking on water. <coughs> so kind of later that night I could kind of get some sound out. The next day I could kind of get some sound out and it was like, and, you know, I would just be able, before that moment, I could teach and sing and teach and sing. And it was just like nothing for me. I, I had a very hearty voice. Mm-hmm. My voice was kind of coming back. It could kind of get through my lessons, but it wasn't really coming back. And I was getting really scared. I went and got scoped mm-hmm. and I had a hemorrhage right at the contact point, like the worst point to have it. And so I had to really watch my acid intake. I had to... Uh, take uh, anti-acid over-the-counter medication. Mm. I had to, you know, go on vocal rest. Um, And then my voice started coming back, which was great. I could sing, but I would tire really easily. Mm. So, I mean, very easily. Like after 30 minutes to an hour, I was done. Wow. Um, Which didn't work with my schedule at all. Absolutely not. And so, you know, I would try to like warm up and practice, but then I would get so tired warming up and practice. I'm like, oh no, I have to go on vocal rest. Oh no, this sounds like it did before. I got to get scoped again. Mm. So this literally went on for 10 years. I had this fear of singing that I would rest my voice and it would get better and it would get clear and I could sing high notes. I could sing Mm. all over. But as soon as I started singing again, it would wear out. Mm. So what I discovered after much turmoil is that most of this was just because my voice had become weak from a fear of singing and not practicing and not Mm. pushing my voice anymore. So I went to voice therapy and it pretty much transformed everything and I could sing again. Mm. Um, You know, doing a variety of exercises and just letting my voice get tired and not worrying about it. Yeah. But I just, it was like, I would cry. I would just be like, I can't sing anymore. This is, it was just incredibly frustrating. Mm. Cause even after I went through the gunshot ac- accident, I, um, I could make sound, I could hum, I could sing in an ah, you know, Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't ideal. You know, words are important. <clears throat> <laughs> when you're a singer, just a little bit. But you know, it didn't like this part of the instrument was still there. Right. But 
when you have like your main part of your instrument is non-functional, it's super scary. Yeah. And I probably wait, I, I didn't get out there and get scoped for um, like a week after it happened. So, you know, I probably should have gone immediately mm. because I was pre-nodule at that point. Mm. Um, they could see, you know, swelling right at the contact point in addition to um, the hemorrhage. Okay. So if I would have continued and not gotten scoped and continued to try to push through and then, uh, you know, I could have ended up with nodes on top of it. Wow. Yeah. But I was so afraid of getting nodes that every time I got tired and raspy, I would just not sing. Like right now I'm tired and raspy, but <laughs> I don't care. It's fine. You know? Yeah. And every time I, every time I got scoped after, mm -hmm. um, after that, you know, and I only got scoped a couple of times. Like when I got freaked out, I would get scoped. And they said, no, you look perfectly healthy. I'm like, what? But my voice gets tired instantly. Mm. So I actually left that ENT because I had a, a bad experience with that ENT. And then I went um, to see a voice therapist. And that voice therapist, I never had to see an, an ENT after that because she really, really helped me. Mm. And do you feel like that ENT, did they because not all of them specialize in voice or work with singers. Oh, this one did. It did. This one did. Oh, wow. So in the choking, I, I, I wonder about like in the choking incident, um, did they, is the, like the coughing, like was there a lot of coughing? Was there, is that the it thing that a, caused the, the... It's a cough. It was like choke. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Have you ever... I don't want you to ever do this. <laughs> don't try. No. <laughs> don't try. You know, I'm drinking water and like laughing at the same time. So it was like my, my I guess my epiglottis didn't know what to do at that point. Right. It was an uncontrollable laugh. Yeah. And I had water coming in and it was just trying to deal with it all. Right. And then I started coughing and like choking and coughing. It wasn't like a choking on a piece of meat thing. Right. It was kind of a cough choke. Yeah. And then you've got the liquid and then there's your body trying to adjust and you're, that sounds like kind of awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I know, I know other singers who have had hemorrhages. Yeah. But uh, all of them, it's from uh, incident while singing. Mm. But I know that it's, it's not uncommon mm. to get it from a non-singing, but really for me, it was, psychological mm -hmm. just I had been so tripped out by that whole experience and mm -hmm. whenever my voice tired like that I thought okay this is it mm -hmm. I've I'm pre-nodule again I've got to lay off and then I just got freaked out again and oh I I had a whole story with that particular doctor mm -hmm. you know canceled appointment stories and all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. and anyway mm -hmm. but I'm very glad that I ended up with the voice therapist. So it all worked out, but. Who is your therapist? Amy Chapman. Okay. You probably I have, she yes. Awesome. Yeah. The voice lab. I have a number, it's so funny because now like every working singer I talk to, they're like, oh, do you know Amy Chapman? I'm like, yeah, every, we all mm. go to her. Mm. She's amazing. Yeah. And then I had a tension problem too. So I got, oh. um, you know, uh, what do they call laryngeal manipulation where they do a massage? Oh, yes. mm -hmm. Great. I've learned how to self-massage. 
I'm due for one right now. I just, after a party week, <laughs> <laughs> yelling over people and yeah. singing on weird PA systems and, you know, you've been Like there. we do. <laughs> yes, yes. It's all tense right now, but. Yeah. That's a really great, have you ever had one of those? I have not, and I keep hearing about it, and I need to have this experience, so. Yeah, it's great. And then after you've done it a couple times, it's very, she is very expensive. I'm sure there's people that do a great job that aren't quite as mm -hmm. expensive, but. Um, you go to Amy, or you, do you go to? Amy. Amy is the only one who I've gone to okay. for it, but I've learned sort of how to do it on myself, but to do a really a great job, you need takes like 40 45 minutes mm. and I just don't have the patience to do it on myself right and it's hard I'm, I can't be completely relaxed yeah you know like getting the muscles on the sides and the working inside and mm. making sure you can move right and just having that other perspective I think you know um I feel like it's you know it's like that with just about any kind of service from getting your eyebrows done your pedicure done you just somebody else with the, <laughs> with the experience and the perspective you know it's just right. always seems to be better when somebody else does it yes um yeah. absolutely yeah well this has been really enlightening thank you so much this is really cool thank you for having me on yeah, yeah. absolutely and where can we um find you online my website bethrody.com <laughs> that's nice. probably you can see a lot of what i do there mm -hmm. um you know i have gigs up there and awesome yeah very cool nice and what's the name of your music school coast music in hermosa beach how much did you guys enjoy that oh my goodness so let's get into the singing lessons. Two huge takeaways, I think, from this episode. Number one, a great musician can be a great musician, but they can't always teach. They have to have a passion. Number two, teaching is always a two-way street. It's a commitment on both sides. It's got to be that the teacher is committed and the student is committed as well. So true. You know, I, first of all, I'm so grateful for all the information that Beth gave on this episode, shared on this episode. Really wonderful. I was just so impressed with everything that I learned about her because we've shared a stage, you know, and after shows, we um, will all sit down and um, maybe hang out at the bar for a little bit and, you know, but you never get to go like this deep with the people that you do shows with because it's just kind of not always the environment for that. It's um, usually still pretty loud and um, you've got a lot of people interrupting and you just can't really connect. So I, I'm, you know, was just really um, blown away by everything that Beth has done and um, just so impressed. And I got a chance to visit her school last week. Um, we did a gig together and um, parked in the parking lot of her school and went to the gig and then came back. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to see, you know, the I need to see the inside of this place. <laughs> um, and it was so lovely, so nice, 
but just to see everything that she has done and built and you know it's just really just so impressive and just really goes to show how much more there is to us than as singers than just you know maybe getting up on a stage and singing songs how much it can evolve and and the getting up on stage I mean it's like where we begin right everything there's so many levels and layers and places that all of that can go if you are open to learning and ex and exploring and all of it and um that has been a huge lesson for me just like a huge lesson and look at this beautiful facility this beautiful community that Beth has built um with all of these students and these wonderful teachers we got to meet a few of them um, one happened to be there uh, teaching piano uh, when we were, and he was kind of wrapping up. And just to, you could tell he was just a really lovely soul. And at the show that we'd done earlier in that evening, um, there was another teacher from the school who'd just come out to support. And um, she's just got really fantastic teachers at the school like she said in the interview, does some major, you know, this huge quality control as far as the, the uh, staff, the educators, not the staff, um, but the um, instructors that are, are, are brought in. So um, just really cool. It just gives, does give me a lot to think about and, you know, makes me contemplate my existence. No, <laughs> makes me contemplate, um, you know, just what I've what I've thought singing was over the years, what I've thought a singing career was over the years, and how much more expansive we can be in um, our thinking about uh, what a career in singing can look like. It can look like this really fantastic building near the beach in California, you know, where this lovely community has been created, um, where a lot of love has been put into this uh this work so you know wherever you're at in your educational journey of that aspect of all this and I mean all of this is really just about learning and, and growth isn't it um but you know maybe you're in your teacher journey or you're in or really early on in your singing journey and you are looking to go to school and learn more um she's certainly somebody to contact um, I had no idea. So that was just like a really fascinating thing for me to learn. Um, but yes, let that be, let this all be a resource for you. That to me is what's so exciting. You know, it doesn't have to be so elusive and you don't have to listen to anybody who does, who hasn't been there because everybody on this show, we've got at least 50 guests on the show who have, um, been there. So that's, that's really exciting to me. And I thank Beth again for coming on the show this week. So yeah, d please do visit the working singer podcast.com to find the links to everything that we have mentioned. All the show notes are there. Any other episodes that you might've missed or posted there as well. You can also hear them on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google play, and pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. Um, and please do share this episode or any of the other episodes with somebody who you think would enjoy it. If it's moved you, if it has inspired you, if you've learned something, please share it. So that's it for this week, you guys. Um, 
Again, don't forget to get onto Facebook and join the community. I would love to see you there. I'd love to see you at an event. Gosh, what a year this has been. I'm so, you know, I'm just like so moved and um, excited by everything that has happened and just by seeing you all and, um, you know, being involved in your singer journey, you know, it's been really, it's meant everything for you to include me in that um, with your DMs and uh, seeing you again at events or just seeing you out. Um, sometimes I see some of you randomly on the street. <laughs> it's just interesting how many more people I've gotten to know doing this, um, which is not something I anticipated, to be honest. I thought I'd be sitting in my room doing this, releasing it, and then saying nothing <laughs> to anybody ever. But um, no, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, it's it's been really cool. So I will stop rambling. But um, we got a couple more shows this year, and um, just really looking forward to the next year. So I love you. I appreciate you. I thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. And I will talk to you again next week. It used to be overwhelming. You know, I was taking the phone calls. I was making sure everything was clean, booking appointments, changing appointments, hiring staff. I was doing everything myself. And until we could afford to hire somebody to help me with that, I had no life. If you're a professional singer, want to know how to turn singing into a career, or simply love to hear stories from singers on the road, then The Working Singer is the podcast for you. I chat with pro singers about how they make a creative living in the music business, lending their talent to stars like Enrique Iglesias, The Killers, Elvis Costello, and more. They share life lessons, business advice, and how they make a living when they're off the road. We'll also discuss vocal health, technique, performance, coaching, and pretty much all things vocal. Elevate your approach to your singing career, get enlightened about what the pros do, and be inspired with new ideas that you can make your own. My name is Jamila Ford, and this is the Working Singer Podcast. Welcome, 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 everyone. I am so excited that you are here today. We have a fantastic show for you. I'm really excited for you to hear everything that we get into. And I will introduce our guests in one second. But, you know, I was just thinking about the fact that this is the end of the year. We are, I don't know, what is it, 49 weeks in or something like that. And I can't believe that the year has gone by so quickly. It's been almost a year since I released my first podcast episode. And I was so scared to do it. And um, wow, that's making me emotional. <laughs> um and I have learned so much, and I'm really grateful that you guys have been listening and giving me the feedback you've been giving, and, um, you know, I've been learning along with me and uh, coming to events and all of it. Um, you know, I'm really grateful. It's been a really cool ride shall I say. So I just wanted to say and give you a big thank you for listening and, you know, 
supporting and all of that. Like I said, I was so afraid to release the first episode, to hit the publish button, to, you know, I was going to release this podcast in 2018. And I think I was just afraid and I'd put it off. I'd started recording episodes and then I decided that I had too many things going on and I was going to put this on the back burner. And that thought lasted a couple of weeks and it just felt wrong to not move forward. It just felt wrong to not proceed. And I just decided to go full steam ahead and things came up and life came up and you know, it's bumpy. There's no straight path. It's definitely been crooked, <laughs> not in a shady way. And, you know, I'm just really glad that I decided to take the leap and that, you know, I've gotten the response that I have gotten. And, you know, just really at our events, um, whether there are a, t a lot of us or just a few of us, you guys have made some genuine connections with each other. And I think that's been the biggest benefit, you know, just creating community in a city or a town, as they call it, where it can be difficult to do such a thing, um, to make genuine connections. But you know, I always think that if you come in a genuine way, um, water's just going to find its level. You know what I mean? And you're just going to attract really amazing people when you come from the heart um, the way all of you have. And it's what I've tried to do. And um, it's just been my intention to put out a podcast that has can not only inform, but connect everybody and, you know, make you feel like you are not alone. And, um, you know, cause this can be such a difficult line of work. It can be really lonely. It can be very confusing and vexing and all of the things I've definitely felt, you know, over this past year, so much more connected to the singer community than I, really ever have and I think this is one of the best things I I've done <laughs> you know in um in life and so you know all that to say um just thank you you know I really do appreciate I say it every week that I appreciate you listening and I really do you know I hope that we all continue to to grow together so from the bottom of my heart thank you so much you know for listening um and and joining me every week, you know, it's, it's, um, it's time out of your life and it's, everybody's busy and, you know, uh, it is a genuine thing. I, I know how genuine it is to take time out of your private life to listen to something, you know what I mean? Because I do it too. And I have to really be interested and really connect with whatever it is in order to take that time to listen. So I, I do deeply appreciate, you know, you listening right now. I really do. And I hope that um, we can have even more fun together next year. And if you haven't had a chance to uh, join in 
an event, then, um, you know, we'll have more next year and I hope to see you. Um, we do have one coming up. It's the last one of the year, December 14th at 2 p.m. That's this coming Saturday in just a few days. Um, so if you join the Working Singer Podcast community on Facebook, you can get all of the information for that. I have the uh, invitation posted, just RSVP, yes. And um, I'll send you the information. I'm sending out the full information today, so... Um, or within the next couple of hours. So, um, yeah, get on there and RSVPS. And um, hopefully I'll, I will see you this Saturday. You know, it's always a lot of fun. We're going to be doing some Christmas carols and any other kind of songs we want to sing together. We're going to be doing some fun karaoke. And, um, of course, it's a potluck, so... Excuse me. Of course, it's a potluck, so we will have food there. Um, but it's just going to be a lot of fun and some good unwinding, I think. You know, it's going to be the last couple of weeks. It's the last couple of weeks of the year, which I can't even believe I'm saying. Definitely a, a fun, exciting way to end the year. So I hope to see you there. Anyway, guys, you know what I was thinking about? And this is something... <laughs> Amongst sing, well, nothing, nothing amongst us, but there is a thing that I have noticed, and certainly for myself, I will speak for and about myself. But I had a couple of gigs over the weekend, and I've been thinking this for months, and I've really been taking for granted my stage performance. And I've been thinking a lot about the fact that you know I I've just been so busy doing the podcast and all the things around it and just kind of living life and uh, cleaning my apartment and taking care of my cats and maintaining my relationship with my husband <laughs> that I have not, um, I think I've gotten a bit lazy with memorizing lyrics and I was realizing, you know, I had a couple of shows um, over the weekend, uh, basically soul R&B stuff and pop and and all of that and I was thinking you know the people that I'd been working with I'd actually been working with one group for about a year and the other uh, maybe about two years year and a half something like that I just thought you know I need to ac actually accept that I've got this gig and memorize the songs, <laughs> memorize the lyrics so that I can actually give a real performance. And I have to say that my iPad has become so much of a crutch. I don't know if these, this thought has, you know, gone across your mind and I do work with a lot of singers and I feel like it's 50, 50, uh, maybe even more 70, 30, like most of us I don't know, have, don't seem to have everything memorized. Sometimes it depends on the gig. And sometimes you get the gig at the last minute and it's just like, okay, just bring every song you have ever learned. Even if you only, if you, the last time you sang it was, was like 10 years ago or whatever. You know, sometimes you've got those gigs where you, you're going to have to do a lot of songs and they may not be songs that you usually do. And so you bring that iPad along and it's probably the first gig you've done with the, the the band or whatever it is so that's understandable 
but I feel like, you know, there's been so much talk about uh, on this podcast, and especially a few weeks ago with um, the Stephen Memel episode, um, where we talked about performance and really what it takes to give a good one to really connect with the audience, um, to really get deep, you know, with the entire thing. I'm losing my train of thought, but I, I was thinking if I'm going to be doing that and I'm going to be having these conversations and then I'm going to be like taking all of this into my own practice, into my own rehearsal, into my own performances, then I'm really going to have to do this at least a little bit. You know, I, I know I've got a lot going on, but my job is singing and I feel like I've kind of gotten away from the performance aspect of it and delivering the songs. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I'd had that thought over the weekend. I also thought it would make me a much stronger bandstand mate, <laughs> for lack of a better, I don't know, term. Because, you know, I've got gigs where maybe I don't necessarily love all of the songs. And so there's some that I in all honesty, kind of avoid doing. Um, and so I didn't really, I don't really learn them. Maybe I just don't like them <laughs> all that much, but you know, I really don't have to. Um, my thought was, you know, I would just be stronger up on stage and a better support for the other singers up there with me if I take the time to memorize the songs that I even don't care for all that much because it's really not what it's about it's not my own personal show we're just kind of there to make sure the audience has fun and I think a big way of doing that is making sure that I actually know all of the songs that I have to do you know I'm not like relying on this I mean the other thing is you know I had a have a singer friend who had a gig over the summer, I think it was. Um, and she had her iPad up there with her and the thing died. It died. It died right up there on stage with her. And so the band's playing the song and she's just kind of <laughs> like humming along. And um, that's just the worst, you know, so... I know we got like, you know, there's all kinds of different scenarios, but I mean, honestly, for myself, these couple of gigs that I'm thinking about, I can go ahead and accept that I've got the gigs and now, you know, make sure that I really know the songs. And it's just like, it's the usual stuff. It's like September. It's, um, you know, I know the Aretha stuff and, but those usual ones, you know, I shouldn't be relying on my iPad at this point. That's my confessional right now. So. Let me know if you agree, if you're having that experience. Yeah, it's just, it's an interesting thing. But I, I, I know, you know, and I feel and I see that I, I just can't get into a performance where I'm, if I'm sitting there and I can't connect with my audience. I can't look at everybody. I can't really connect with everybody if I'm sitting there staring at um, an iPad. Anyway, DM me on, um, on Instagram or email me hi at theworkingsingerpodcast.com. Let me know what you think about that. Go on to any of the social medias and um, maybe I'll pose that question um, in the group, um, what everybody thinks about, you know, the whole iPad thing. But, you know, speaking of being a consummate professional, our guest today completely is. Um, 
I know Beth Rohde from the band Pretzel Logic. I used to sub for her and she got super busy and um, I took over for her in that band. Um, and she comes back and subs from time to time, but that is how I know her. And I've had a chance to work on stage with her and she is just amazing and her voice is lovely and can really harmonize, has an excellent ear and has had a chance to really hone her craft. I was so impressed with all of the work that she has done and all of the development she's had as an educator and a singer and musician. Just really cool. So before... So let me introduce her. She's had a wide-ranging career in music as a performer and educator. She began her professional career in Boston singing jazz and Brazilian music as a solo artist and with the band Beijo do Brazil. In 1994, her career went on hold. You guys, we talk about this in the interview. You are not going... I mean, it's just the craziest thing. She was a victim of gun violence. She was in Brazil to record music. And I'm just going to let her tell that story in the show. But it it was nuts. It's nuts. Um, After a lengthy recovery, she moved to Southern California in 1997 to complete her studies at USC with a full scholarship awarded by the Ella Fitzgerald Foundation. Since then, she has performed on five different continents as a solo artist with Les Brown's Band of Renown and most recently with Pretzel Logic. In addition to her career as a performer, Beth is an experienced educator, arranger, and music director. She has directed on she has directed ensembles and taught at some of the nation's leading institutions, including University of Southern California. She is the founder and music director at Coast Music. So on this episode today, we talk about um, the day-to-day of running her music school, um, how young music students can choose the right college program for them, and her advice for adults who want to continue their music education. Um, I'm really excited about this. Great information. And, you know, I love to pass along the information that I get. So this is really exciting. Without further ado, the delightful Beth Rohde. Beth, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so let's get right into it. Um, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I am from Minnesota. Don't you know? No kidding. Minnesota. Yeah. You never noticed the accents? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, I don't think it's that strong anymore, but I don't, you know. No, I'm just kidding. I I put it on. I like to put it on. Oh, (laughs) that's funny. You are from Minnesota. Truly. Oh, okay. For <laughs> 18 years, we're spent there. Oh, cool. So what was life like growing up? It's a great place to grow up. Beautiful, all four seasons, very cold in the winter, you know, like six months of cold. Um, but it was great, nice, humble upbringing. Mm. Um, you know, I had two great parents, great family. Yeah. And uh, it was a great place to grow up. You know, was your family musical? Um, yes, but not musicians. Mm. So my mom, 
mom grew up in Brazil. Oh, no kidding. And yeah, in a very Christian family in the south of Brazil. And so she used to play piano. She used to sing. She played Hawaiian guitar. She was like the girl, you know, come and see the girl play all the instruments. (laughs) (laughs) And for our next trick. (laughs) Yeah. And she actually wrote a book about the whole experience. It was quite an experience for her. Was she born in Brazil or is she born in the States and then went to Brazil? Born in Michigan, but she, Portuguese was her first language. She moved there like a toddler oh yeah and then lived there her whole life no kidding were parents yeah. missionaries or how did that they were missionaries yeah her okay. dad was a, a preacher it was really a third world country experience mm. he had a lot of crazy experiences and diseases and all kinds of things oh wow so she's got a great book out there oh well what's the book called Oh my gosh, they changed the name. Um, I have it here. Hold on. Okay. I got to look. <laughs> Divine Betrayal. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's scintillating. To check it that. is scintillating. <laughs> Divine Betrayal. And it's, it's a fascinating story. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. So then your mom meet your dad and ends up in Minnesota. How do your parents end up in Minnesota? Well, her mom had family in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And um, so she went to stay with him while she went to the University of Minnesota (laughs) and met my dad in a bar. Okay. (laughs) In fact, so, wow. You know, this last weekend, this, we were in Florida and we spent the whole week with my mom's best friend's family. Mm-hmm. And we've stayed in touch with this family all these years. They're incredible people. Mm-hmm. Um, so she came from this very legalistic Christian background. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had to have her hair in braids. It was very strict. She, her parents were wonderful, wonderful people, but mm-hmm. you know, they thought about Christianity in a very strict mm-hmm. way and they were loving, great people. Mm-hmm. Her best friend there, she had a best male friend and a best female friend. And her best female friend introduced her to her best male friend, Mm -hmm. who was a musician. Mm -hmm. And he drank nonstop and smoked nonstop. And they loved each other. They had a a lifetime love affair, never romantic. Mm. And to this day, we keep in touch with that family. We spent Thanksgiving with them in Florida. Mm. And they're all amazing. Nice. Yeah, it's just, and he has passed away, but the whole time I was thinking how incredible it would be for him to be there. Mm. Our families have stayed connected. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I never thought he'd die. I told his kids, I never thought he died because uh, he would die because I thought he was pickled. <laughs> he drank scotch nonstop, <laughs> nonstop. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> A great musician, never professional, but a really great jazz musician. Mm. He loved all the music, and we just had fun playing music. So it was, it was a nice weekend. Mm. So how did music evolve for you as a kid? Um, that's funny because, um, yeah, my dad was a businessman. Mm-hmm. My mom was a nurse, right? And then she started working for my dad's company. My dad started a, a real estate company. Mm. Um, 
So it's not, it wasn't discouraged, but it's not like in California where people are thinking about, you know, getting your kids music instruction and getting your kids acting classes and dance and all that. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be in TV shows and they're going to be doing this and that. Mm -hmm. Even though so my, my dad's parents were actually opera singers. Oh, no kidding. So even from that background, he was never a singer himself. Mm -hmm. He never, you know, it wasn't really on the forefront of their minds to get us involved in music. Mm -hmm. But I definitely, as a kid, drove everybody crazy singing around the house all the time. Yeah. Um, so it just came to a point where, um, you know, his, his mom actually gave me my first voice lessons when I was in high school. And unfortunately, they weren't very valuable mm. at that point because she uh, had uh, extreme memory loss at that point. Mm. But it was nice to spend time with her. Mm. And I went to a theater school for high school, the last three years of high school, but they weren't very musically uh, strong. They were more of an acting and dancing. And that wasn't really, that never was really my thing, acting. I loved to dance and I enjoyed acting somewhat, but never really my thing. So I was kind of there for the music, but music wasn't very strong there. Mm. Yeah, so, but I discovered I had a talent for it later. You know, I think the first time maybe you've had this experience, Jamila, where you're in a public set setting and everyone's singing happy birthday. And literally the first time that happened, I thought people were joking. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday to you. You know, but <laughs> tune, it, I didn't understand it because my whole family always sang in tune. Ah. And I just, yeah, you know. So you graduate from high school, and then what happens? Um, from high school, I, um, well, actually, right out of high school, I had to take a year off because I got mono <gasps> for eight months. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> and then because I went to a earthy country theater school where they didn't have grades, it, it was a crazy school I went to. My theater school, the director of theater was a pedophile. Yeah, he was a pedophile. Many of the teachers there were pedophiles. What? I didn't even, I heard some rumors, but I didn't really think it was going on. And then I see these damaged adults, uh, you know. No, it's awful. Yeah, I had a, a, a sexual abuse inst inc uh, incident when I was very young. I was five years old, mm. friend's brother. And I was just very fortunate that, you know, well, first of all, I didn't tell anybody, but my parents, like, mm. They figured it out, took me for counseling, and, you know, I had, like, an amazing family. Oh, that's... And I, you know, had learning disabilities, all that stuff growing up, mm -hmm. and parents were just, you know, awesome and supportive in every way. That's great. I mean, that's not always a story, so that's really a relief yeah. to hear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I didn't have an incident at in high school, but other people certainly did. Yeah. I came out of the school and then I had mono. I couldn't go to college. I really wanted to go to college and I wanted to go to college for music, even though, you know, I can kind of, I figured out that I could probably do something with it. Mm -hmm. And um, my, I didn't have any grades because at that school, they didn't have grades. They had evaluations. So it was very tough to get into a school. Yeah. So I got into uh, the school called the University of Tampa, which still exists. And I spent two years there. I got a scholarship there. Mm -hmm. 
and I did everything I could possibly do there. It was, it was a cool experience because I did like my first paid gigs there. I won some competitions there. All that was really cool. And then I was just sort of bored of being there. Mm. And then I applied to Berkeley and I went to Berkeley. Berkeley College was, of Music in Boston. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then I transferred to Berkeley. It, in fact, there was a decision I had to make. It was either going to Disney in Tokyo hmm. or going to college at Berkeley because I did this Disney audition and I got to the final round to do this Minnie Mouse's, what was it, like Minnie Mouse's, a Minnie Mouse role, but I wasn't the right role for it. Hmm. So I said, we'd like to take you to, like send you to Tokyo for Disney. And um, I decided I wanted to finish school, but not there. So I transferred to Berkeley. Mm. And then I did a double major there in vocal performance and music production and engineering. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what was your time at Berkeley like? Um, it, was, it was good. It was a great experience. You know, there were deadlines and things I had to get ready for. So it forced me to work. Um, and then, you know, I had a great little airline gig on the side, which was very fun. And yeah, it was, it was pretty much a great experience. Um, toward the end, you know, like with any school, there are good teachers, bad teachers. Sometimes I go to class and, uh, you know, it's a, I'm not really saying that right. Some, it, there were some, definitely some teachers that phoned it in. Mm. And this was a long time ago. I don't know what, Ber I have an idea of what Berkeley is like right now, mm -hmm. but anyway. What do you mean it was, by an airline gig? What was that? <laughs> I worked, so I worked for Northwest Airlines, which is now um, merged with Delta. Mm -hmm. Delta bought it, I think. But at the time I would work um, at the ticket counter and at the gate. So I would make announcements. Okay. I would check people in. I would check their bags in. I would operate the jetway. It was a part-time job, but I got to fly free. Um, my parents got to fly free. Standby was no issue. It was pre 9-11. So mm. it was great to have that job with the airline. It was difficult to quit the job with the airline, but I realized that I was turning down gigs because they were requiring me to put in so many hours mm. and not to sub out mm. so i had to quit that gig and i i didn't want to quit the airline job but i had to oh <laughs> going to school for music right yeah so you're doing a lot of gigging um while in school then i'm toward the end mm. i was you know gigging i you know like i met my husband in a wedding band actually it's like wedding and they call it general business in Boston mm -hmm. band. I did that. I had this Italian American band I was singing in and then I was teaching part-time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Nice. So what were your goals? I guess while you were in Berkeley, what did you want to do after you graduated? Um, I wanted to sing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was very young. Yeah. I, I discovered some things. So one thing I discovered um, after I graduated and I was in a wedding band for about a year, mm -hmm. I discovered. So when I was hired by this band, there were four gigs on a weekend, like every weekend, it was September and October. 
which is foliage season. It's beautiful there. Everybody wants to get married when it's all colorful in the fall. And then um, they gave us a calendar for January and February, and there are like two gigs per month. Oh. And I thought, wow, how am I going to pay the car payment and the rent? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I started teaching. Hmm. Um, I went to Berkeley and I tried to get referrals from my former teachers. And I discovered that I really loved teaching music. Hmm. So that ended, ended up being a lifetime passion of mine. Still doing it, still loving it. Yeah, brilliant. Now, was there um, like teacher training? Did you do uh, classes for that or how did that work as far as uh, kind of feeling prepped to do it? I prepped myself. Mm. I'd say the first experience I had was um, my major at University of Tampa was um, music education. Oh, okay. Education, education, psychology classes. Oh, wow pedagogy classes. And then after I graduated from Berkeley, I started teaching at a college in Minneapolis. Hmm. Um, it's called Music Tech. Now it, then it changed its name to McNally Smith. They just closed their doors a year ago, oh. but they ended up being a very big and successful music school. I'm not sure what happened, <clears throat> but I was the head of the vocal department there while I was there. Oh. While I was coordinating the vocal department, I was taking additional pedagogy classes at University of Minnesota. Wow. Mainly, you know, I don't, I don't have a music education degree, but I've taken some classes mm. and worked to figure it out and learn from my, my own teachers. Sure. For sure. Yeah. That just seems to kind of be the path everybody's, every music teacher seems to have their own, not every, you know, everybody's got their own path, but certainly with, uh, voice. It seems to be such a very personal journey for um, everybody, you know, um, as far as how, yeah, how, yeah, how your own process goes and all of that. So then you end up in um, Los Angeles. What led you here? Um, well, so many things. So um, when I was in Minneapolis, I was teaching at Music Tech. Mm -hmm. Like I said, and I had uh, an incident there. So I, I left music tech actually to go to Brazil. I was going to be in Brazil for three months. Mm. Um, wait, I'm getting this timeline all messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think here. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I was in Minneapolis when this, this all happened. Okay, I was in Minneapolis. Matt, my current husband, mm -hmm my one and only husband, <laughs> he was in Atlanta. He hung out in Minneapolis for about a year and that's all he could take. And he went back to Atlanta. I stayed, I stayed in Minneapolis, but then I thought I got an opportunity to go down to Brazil and record some, um, some music in English in Sao Paulo. I knew a guitar player who I met in Atlanta, kind of a long story. So I was gonna go down there and do that. Yeah. My second day, I was with my mom's friend um, in her condo in Copacabana and uh, a bullet came through an open window. I didn't even know what happened. I heard and I got shot in the face. <gasps> so, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty crazy. I was not able to sing and I sang with the prosthetic, you know, mouthpiece, like a retainer full of teeth for 
a while, but I wasn't able to record because in Minneapolis, I was also in addition to teaching, I was recording a lot of radio commercials. Yeah. I worked for the radio concepts company and we did a ton of radio commercials, but once you have a prosthetic in your mouth, you're kind of done oh doing that. Gosh. You can get away with some live singing, but you know, the diction is just mm. not there. Any idea where that bullet came from or who it was meant for or was? Yeah, there's, there's, a, um, there's a story we got from the police down there. Mm -hmm. And the story was that it came from an open, you know, someone shooting out an open window two blocks away. And they were angry at the construction noise below. Um, and, you know, maybe they were drinking. So just... Wow. The shooting. Yeah. And that's pretty much a safe area in Rio. Mm -hmm. But it was quite the experience. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. That's pretty insane. Yeah. It, it took out six teeth, a lot of bone, mm. uh, a lot of tissue. It took a while to bounce back from that. Mm. So what was your kind of um, journey back to singing like after that as far as like the healing and then maybe finding a coach to work with getting a, a good prosthetic and, and all of that yeah it, so um I spent like a couple like probably six months I had nothing in my mouth like I mean no teeth up top at all so I couldn't really mm. sing at all and then they were trying to figure out you know, there just wasn't even a lot to put a prosthetic on, but oh they God. managed. They, they, you know, I was missing bone all the way up to my na nasal spine. Had it gone a little further, my nose might have dropped as well. Mm. So, but I'm lucky because if my mouth was open more, it could have gone into my brain. Jesus. So my teeth really deflected, you know, that bullet. Oh my God. So it was many years of getting surgery and bone grafts mm. and bio procedures. I had distraction osteogenesis, which is where they break your bone and they you separate it a little bit at a time and your bone will regenerate. Regener mm. We had doctors coming up from Germany installing this new device and wow. it was a crazy journey. And then I had to take breaks because during all of that, I got married and started having kids and mm -hmm. you can't have surgery when, you know, you're making a baby and mm. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. yeah. So how would you say your, um, your voice has evolved? Um, well, that's a difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it's definitely matured over time. I mean, yeah. you mean through this incident? Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you notice? I suppose like, you know, um, did the sound, how did the sound change? And, um, do you find it oh, changed much or do you, is it just like surprisingly the same or what do you, what did you find with, with it? Well, during the procedure, I would have to adapt to how my mouth was at that time. Right. So definitely when I got a prosthetic, you know, I had real addiction problems mm -hmm. and then I would have 
get used to that. And then I would have a surgery and then I'd have to get used to, you know, the new retainer. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it would be just kind of relearning every time. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally got permanent implants, which was a wonderful thing, that made it, you know, the diction almost like it was before, Mm. which is great. You know, now I'm recording and doing all the the things I, you know, the type of work I was doing before. Yeah. Not radio commercials, that was a thing I did back then, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you've, I guess, been restored, I suppose. You know, that's a crazy thing to go through. Um, it is. Yeah. So what leads you to opening up uh, your music school? Um, we had our second child, Sam, mm. and I was working for, I, you know, I went to graduate school at USC and I taught there a while and I finished, you know, graduate school there. I went for my master's degree and taught the vocal jazz ensemble and nice. taught private lessons. But then, you know, I, we had our first child and then I finished all that surgery, had the second child. I was working for different music schools and I found that wherever I taught, there wasn't a lot of quality control and just, Mm. uh, you could just, um, I just wanted more from where I was teaching. Mm. So. um, Quality control as far as the instructors. That's true, yeah. Mm. And not a lot to inspire students to practice. Mm. So I was teaching at one particular place. So. By the time I had a couple of kids, I couldn't really manage teaching at a university anymore. It was too much, mm. um, especially my husband was still touring a lot. Mm. So um, I taught at, you know, more local music schools. Mm-hmm. And I found that um, I wanted my students to do a lot more. I wanted them to perform a lot more and learn from experience mm-hmm. more than just having a private lesson, right. but to be able to private you know, apply what they were learning in the lessons to some kind of a real world environment mm. because I feel like I grew the most when I had some kind of a real real world to yeah. apply it. Right. To. Yes. So I was organizing all these recitals and extra things at this other music school. Um, but it was so much work and I was kind of doing it all for the music school and I was a little frustrated that, you know, the owner of the music school wasn't participating. Mm. So I just decided that we would do our own music school from there mm. it was I must have been crazy for, <laughs> for deciding to do that. It's an incredible amount of work. Uh, it's, it's gratifying. It's great. It's still my passion. Yeah. It's still one of my passions. <clears throat> yeah. How long have you had your school? Since 2004. 2004. It was a 600 square foot music school. Mm-hmm. The first two years, we were writing checks for $2,000 a month just to keep it afloat. Mm. Wow. You know, it took a while to, and it really took two years to get to the point where I was just working for free and not having to fund it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I would charge for private lessons, but the business wasn't making any money. Yeah. And then it just, you know, it really took a long time to get to the point where any money was coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, it's going well. Uh, it's a successful business. We have a lot of 
great clients, amazing teachers. Mm -hmm. It's still a labor of love though. I don't think, you know, I haven't figured out how to um, make it a lucrative thing, but that's not why I do it. Mm. What's, uh, what's the day-to-day -day like um, as far as running it and what's, what's difficult about it? It used to be um, overwhelming. Mm. It used to be, you know, I was taking the phone calls. I was making sure everything was clean. Um, I was booking appointments, changing appointments, hiring staff. I was doing everything myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and until we could afford to hire somebody to help me with that, um, it was, I had no life and I was not a very uh, uh, great um, wife and mother. Mm. <laughs> I was very neglectful of my family and our home. Mm. So, you know, that, that happened, that was like maybe six to seven years, I'd say, that I was had so much time and energy invested in that business. Mm -hmm. It's a lot better now. Now I'm mainly the music director and I help, you know, identify exceptional music teachers mm -hmm. and I help support them and our clients. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, it's not an 80 hour uh, a week job anymore. Yeah. yeah. Where do you find your instructors? Um, it's been literally everywhere from Craigslist <laughs> to referrals mm. from our other teachers. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say we really, Craigslist isn't the go-to anymore, but we have one of our most exceptional teachers. I found him on Craigslist. He's incredible. Mm. So it's possible. It's like shopping at Ross. Right. So, you know, that's <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, dropping at Ross. There's some diamonds in there, but you've got to sort through a lot. Mm -hmm. so, and it's a long process, you know. It's um, emailing, mm -hmm. looking at resumes. It's phone calling, and then if the phone interview goes well, then we meet in person. I always hear them play or sing. Um, talk to them about, you know, because not only can a great musician be a great musician, but they can't always teach. Right. They have to have a passion mm -hmm. and um, they have to know, you know, how to get at a student and teaching is always a two way street. Mm. It's commitment on both sides. Right. Got to be the teacher committed and the student committed as well. Mm. So yeah, it's a long process, but now I really try to get referrals. Yeah. I just think with referrals, you, um, it, it's not shopping at Ross anymore, you know? Mm. And I try to get referrals from other exceptional music teachers. And what do you generally want to see in your teacher's background? You're looking at a resume, you're getting referrals. What, what do you want to hear? And, and uh... A combination of education and performance experience. I want to see they're actively performing. Mm. Really, we have no one on our staff who is just teaching. Mm. So um, that's super important. Mm -hmm. And then I want to know that they have experience teaching. And it could be, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be like only private lessons or only band or it doesn't have to be both. It can be anything. And then I want to hear about their experiences teaching. Mm -hmm. And then of course, we always get referrals. We want to know 
you know, we want to hear from students they've taught or parents of students they've taught mm. or, you know, supervisors that they've taught, you know, uh, for other schools mm -hmm. or after school programs. So we work hard at getting, you know, referrals and hearing stories about them as human beings and teachers. Mm. So what are the other um, pieces to your business? Because I look at your website and I see RWB Music Services. Yeah, that is. And so what are all the parts? <laughs> <laughs> so RWB Music Services, my, my husband, that's a separate business. Okay. That's been my business, but we do a lot. So we do a lot of music preparation. Um, he does most of the grunt work for that. Mm. He writes, you know, charts for The Voice, um, and American Idol, sometimes the Grammys, all that. Mm. The only thing I will do in that, I'll occasionally sing on a demo if he needs like an arrangement demo, mm. so singers know what it sounds like. Mm. Um, we both do, you know, music library, record for music libraries. Um, we try to sell the music ourselves or mm -hmm. sing for another, sing or perform for another library. Mm -hmm. um, coaching for reality TV, you know, various recording projects. Mm -hmm. And then certain times of the year, our home becomes a pre-screen filming studio for, for students applying to music school. Mm. So we do a lot of pre-screen live videos at our house. So I've become a camera operator as well. <laughs> <laughs> do you mean like these are like audition videos for school? Yeah. Okay. Yep, I do a lot of those. Mm. So I do the audio and the video. What makes for a good audition video for school? Well, there are very strict rules, so you can't, that's like number one, not to mess up the rules on those videos. Mm -hmm. um, it's gotta be a single shot with, you know, very clear audio, clear video. I make sure it's well lit, um, nothing distracting in the background. Mm -hmm. um, they always want it cropped a certain way. Sometimes I want full body, sometimes three quarter shot. Pianists, you have to have, you know, an angle of their hand so they can see it's really, and the face, so they know it's, really that person playing and not their piano teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with any instrument. They want to see the hands mm. with most of the body. Mm. Um, but lighting and just a good, clear picture, good sound. What schools are kids generally applying to? Is there like, you know, just kind of a top five or something? There are for every genre of music and sometimes mm. different instruments. Mm. So classical there's music production there's right jazz, there's pop programs um so and there are some some schools that offer a lot of different programs mm -hmm. so pop and jazz are a bit of a crossover yeah and then it really so actually there's another business so i've got for businesses <laughs> that are in part of RWB, um, Coast Music, and College Audition LA. Mm. So I'm the music director for that business as well. Mm. So we help identify schools for college applicants. Okay. I handle the music students. So we look at, you know, their talents. Um, we look at their, you know, what they want to do for a profession and what schools would help them prepare for mm. whatever they 
Um, we look at, of course, their GPA, um, testing scores. Mm -hmm. We help them get all those grades up, scores up. I don't do the academic part. We have a college counselor mm -hmm. who's awesome. She's a Harvard grad, super smart, super great with kids. And she, you know, kids, high school kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so she works on the academic side. I work on the music side. We have an acting person. We have a dancing person. Um, we have an operations person. So um, I help prepare them. I help them with resume building activities. Nice. Yeah. I think that's so great. That's so valuable. And I think that that is a really, a really fantastic uh, thing that you're offering. And certainly, because I don't know that, you know, maybe unless you're at a performing arts high school or something, you know, you may not have proper counseling, you know, as far as yeah, it is. It's, that's what it is. It's college counseling. Yeah. That's the root of the business. Yeah. And it's gotten unbelievably competitive mm. to get in. Like I went to USC for my graduate program, which was, but I don't know if I could get in now. Yeah. My grades were great <laughs> and I went I had a full scholarship which is amazing but now I don't think I would have mm. I'd be lucky just to get in what do you think the difference is uh between then and now why do why don't you think you would get in the grading well first of all USC for one school I think um just the the minimum GPA they want and the minimum test scores are so high. Mm. And they're just raising that bar. 